Hello, everyone, and welcome to Youth Positively Speaking. My name is Paige Ewing, and I work in Prevention Resources as the Multimedia Specialist for Positive Youth. Prevention Resources is a nonprofit located in New Jersey that works to empower the communities we serve by fostering dignity and wellness throughout quality programming and services. We're excited to continue the partnership between Positive Youth and the Hunterdon County Partnership for Health to bring you this mental health mini-series. So today we are super excited. We have with us Nicole Hill. She is the research and marketing manager of Eco America. And at Eco America, Nicole spearheads research projects and co-authors reports, such as the mental health and our climate and our changing climate, which sheds lights on the mental health impacts of climate change. And we also have with us Dr. Patricia Findlay. She is the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs, Professor of Social Work, and Special Assistant to the Dean for Interprofessional Health Initiatives at Rutgers University. Her research includes chronic illness, physical disability, interprofessional health education, disaster preparedness and response, and cancer survivorship. So welcome both of you to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about climate change and how that can impact mental health. And so first, Nicole, can you talk a little bit about climate change and what it is? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, the earth is getting warmer, the polar ice caps are melting, and that's never going to affect me. So can you talk a little bit how bigger that is than just that? Sure. Um, First, thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to be here with you both. Um, Really broadly, climate change refers to the long-term shift of our temperature and weather patterns globally. Um, And when we talk about climate change today, we're really talking about human-caused climate change, um, which is a result of burning fossil fuels. So those fossil fuels come from um, energy sources like oil, coal, and gas, And what happens is when we burn the fossil fuels, that heat gets trapped. And um, how that shows up in your community, we talk about the ice caps a lot, but what happens in your community is you might see um, really extreme temperature days, like it's super, super hot outside, or um, intensified storms like hurricanes. Um, Some of these kind of dramatic weather events that you'll see in your community um, is is really, I think, the the better way to think about climate change, especially when we want to think about solutions for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think especially here in New Jersey, you know, when we're talking about those sorts of impacts, um, we see it in droughts that happen and affecting our farmers. We see it in, you know, the flooding that happens. We just had a big hurricane about two years ago that we had huge flooding up here in New Jersey. We think about the blizzards. So really climate change we can see in our community. And so Dr. Findley, can you talk a little bit about how these weather events, you know, these increase weather events are really impacting the mental health of our communities. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you also for having me here today. Um, you know, it affects people differentially. Um, it can affect the younger population more than than the adults and actually than the older population even more, more so. It depends upon their own vulnerabilities. Um, we do see the change in the environment. I mean, we see flooding, certainly. Areas that we used to know you know, your grandparents took you fishing and that fishing spot no longer exists. It might have changed or the the fish are no longer there because of the effects of, of climate change. Children spend a lot of time outside with these increasing heat waves and older adults as well. 
We see a lot of homelessness, unfortunately, in New Jersey as well. So individuals aren't able to cool themselves as easily as we have in the past. I know we're trying to find ways to partner with scientists and, and um, environmentalists, perhaps by planting more trees and trying to find ways for us to help deal with some of these issues. But the mental health certainly is a, a concern. And we see children, because children aren't able to express their emotions with words the way adults can, we see it in their behaviors. So we see regression sometimes. We'll see children who have been doing well for so long, the storm comes, they might be more clingy and cry and be, want to be with mom and dad. And if it's prolonged, we might see things like bedwetting might come back again to an older child that had been long past that stage. So we see it in many different ways with uh, mental health. And certainly we spoke earlier about um, alcohol and drug use might increase. And we know research shows it does increase post a dramatic weather issue, but typically it levels off, it comes back down after a period of time. But when the weather change is prolonged, we're seeing increases of drug and alcohol use and misuse over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just reading an article that came out a few years ago from the World Health Organization, and they were talking about climate change and the you know, intermingling of mental health and how countries should be absolutely, when they're talking about their climate change plans, be incorporating mental health into those plans. And it was really fascinating to hear, um, you know, just how connected those two things are. So, Nicole, could you talk to us a little bit more about, um, you know, some of your research and some of the things that you've been, you know, talking about when it comes to that you know, connection between climate change and mental health? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been really fortunate to work on um, a project over the past few years, which is a it's a series of reports um, with Ecomerica and the American Psychological Association looking at what the connections are. Um, and so I think the first one came out, it was a while ago, maybe 2014. Um, and then I was involved in the 2021 report and this most recent um, report released in October that was focused on children. Um, and so what I'll say generally about um, the connection between mental health and climate change is climate change is very much um, an exacerbator of what people are already experiencing. And there's so much going on in the world right now. People are already having mental health impacts from such a range of factors. And so um, climate change has this very strong and unfortunate ability to make all of those things a lot worse. Um, and so the most recent research that I've been looking at um, has been on children and young people, and it does climate change does impact people's mental health differently as they, um, as they age. And so, for example, even, even people as young as, you know, in, in the womb, you can have impacts. There's prenatal exposures that can, um, influence people later in life. And, um, you know, I think prenatal exposures to extreme weather events, I can go back and find the specific studies, but, um, have even led to anxiety and depression for people later in life. So it, it starts really young. Um, and then, you know, children, as they get older, 
uh, Patricia was already talking about some of these impacts, but um, they're also generally vulnerable because they rely a lot on their parents. So not only they might have their own um, experience with an extreme weather event or with wildfires or whatever the, the climate change issue is in their community, um, but then also when their parents are impacted, they rely on their parents for food, for shelter, for, you know, they can be influenced by the the caretakers around them. Um, so that's some of the ways that children and very young infants can be impacted. Um, I don't want to take too much of the time, but I can <laughs> no. talk a little bit more about adolescents and how how it's different for them too. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing, Dr. Findlay. And, you know, in your research, especially when it comes to, you know, disaster preparedness and response, are you seeing, you know, the same sort of things on your end? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the variables in here is dose of how the how the intensity of the events, um, proximity, how close were the individuals to the event, and also the length of time, like Hurricane Sandy, we know lasted a period of time. And I, I was on a large study where we looked at a thousand people randomized across the state of New Jersey. And we found, interestingly, that the closer people are to touching debris, touching like trees or gotten the water, they're more likely to have higher levels of anxiety and distress, overall distress. Wow. So we, yeah, it's really fascinating, interesting. And we also remember working with the uh people who came to rescue to help like the emergency response people, how impacted they were because they were in the thick of it. It was the pets, you know, they were finding animals that had died during that. And because they were so close to it, we definitely saw the increase of anxiety and depression in those individuals as well. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a, a concern. Um, but information yeah. is one of the keys. I tell that I, it's a basic social work premise. Um, Providing information is important, but providing information in a way that the individual can take it in. You don't want to overexpose a young child to too much information. You want to start with where they're at. Let them draw pictures with crayons and paper. Have them tell their own stories. And as you, as Nicole was going to start talking about adolescents, they're more likely to talk to their peers. They're not going to want to talk to their parents. So you might encourage them to talk to their peers. But also it's the teens who are sitting out there doing all these protests and trying to get awareness. So supporting their advocacy efforts, efforts is another way to really work with those individuals. Yeah, I mean, I remember even with Hurricane Ian, um, I was living in the central region of New Jersey and I was landlocked. I couldn't leave my house. I was completely surrounded by water. And for a real good minute, I was like, I'm not sure how I'm gonna get to the grocery. And so I don't, I don't have children, but I can imagine how stressful that would be as an adult. And then also having to answer and help your kids when, oh, we're running a little low on that mac and cheese that my kid eats, mm -hmm. you know, what, how are we going to fix this and the disruption that that can cause, um, you know, and then again, just Nicole, I would love you to talk more about adolescents because they can't go to their friend's house if they're again, like how I was landlocked. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that impact on adolescents, Nicole? Yeah, definitely. Um, really quickly before I forget, I want to add um, when Patricia was talking about the amount of information for children, there's some really good resources out there that listeners could be interested in, um, especially if there's edu if they're educators or parents that are, I know like the American cycle or the American Public Health Association has some 
and the climate mental health network has some um like one pagers mm-hmm. on how to talk to children about climate change and they're often um age appropriate so there's different age groups especially the resources for educators um so maybe i can like send you a link or something yeah afterwards. absolutely so for our like, listeners what we'll do is nicole will send me the link and i'll make sure to include it in the description below um and so if you're listening on youtube it's right down below in the description and then if you're listening on any of our other uh platforms spotify apple etc um if you go to our website which i will mention and put it in the description as well. Um, I'll make sure those resources are listed for you all. I'm going to interrupt real quickly because I'm going to also send you a link to the New Jersey Climate Change Resource Center as part of the Rutgers University that was part of a state mandate to set up. It's got a lot of resources for educators, for science, for public. So we'll include that one as well. So lots of resources for our listeners. I mean, I mean, I think for our listeners, hi, I'm going to talk to you for a little while. This is unusual. Um, I think for the most part, you guys usually listen to us because you're parents and you're looking for those resources. And so um, that's really what we're here for today. Um, And so again, I know that we have a lot of parents of like teenagers. So to kind of link us back to that little bit of the conversation that we didn't get to, Nicole, can you uh, restart us off into those adolescents again? Yes. Yeah. Sorry for derailing. Oh, it's okay. It's great. I love it. Um, yes. So adolescents and teenagers, they're subject to the same things that children and um, toddlers are. But what makes their position a little bit more unique is that at that age, you're becoming much more aware. So I think that age group is really understanding what's happening around the world and also understanding that their future is kind of dependent on whether or not we take action. Not kind of, it is dependent <laughs> on whether or not we take action. And they're already um, experiencing climate events today. We're not really talking about climate change so much as this thing that's coming, like it's here and it's now already. And so, um, if, if it's already happening today, what is it going to look like in their thirties and their forties and their fifties? So, um, they're definitely, you know, there's a lot of climate anxiety among that age group. Um, there was a global survey. I'm just looking up to make sure I get the statistics right. There was a global survey of young people and um, it felt it found very high percentages um, across the world uh, yeah, across the world of um, adolescents feeling betrayed by poor governmental response to climate change. And 40% of them said that they felt dismissed or ignored when they talked to other people about it. Um, so that's huge. And then also, um, that age group does have the highest percentage of climate anxiety compared to younger adults in their thirties, or it's, it's really the adolescents. Young wow, people. That's so interesting. Dr. Friendly have, you have anything to add about adolescents? Yeah. I just want to reinforce that. It's absolutely true. Um, and the, the problem with misinformation that's going around, there's a lot that's on the internet and social media. And we know that Younger children, you're more easily able to retrain them, but adolescents seem, once they hang on to that information, it's harder to convince them the information's incorrect. Interesting. Yeah, we talk about that a lot here, you know, at Prevention Resources, where we talk, you know, primarily about substance use and substance misuse, but there's so much out on 
social media, out on the web about substances and are they good for you? Are they not good for you? What is the impact? We don't know. And so we see that a lot, especially with our younger kids, we can give them the skills. But then again, once we get to that adolescent year, really that's where parents are so important because really children who listen, they do listen. I know it's, (laughs) we think that kids don't listen to their parents, but they really do. And when parents are giving them correct information and saying, Or, hey, I don't know, let's go look that up together and let's go find a trusted resource, a .gov, a, you know, .edu, and let's figure out the answer together. Children are more likely to have better health outcomes when it comes to substance use um, and delaying substance use when they have that kind of relationship with their parents. And so, you know, I'd be so interested. I'm sure that it would be the very same for, you know, this climate anxiety of, working with their parents to be like, okay, let's figure out how this is impacting us and what can we do to help our community maybe negate some of those effects. So could you guys talk to us in just our last few minutes about what we can do as a community to not only negate some of the effects of climate change, but then also support those people in our community who may be having a heavier mental impact because of those effects? Mm-hmm. Dr. Finley, how about you start us off? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, some of my work has been working with uh, the School of Engine of um, Environmental Biological Sciences at Rutgers, partnering mental health and science and working with the local school districts and doing education for the teachers out there because it's part of their educational mission now to be teaching about climate change in the schools. So I would encourage individuals to partner with schools, with, especially if the kids are in school, work with the parent-teacher kind of committees and try to find some projects and other ways to really promote education. I think by empowering people to do something, they've got this sense of of really being able to do something to help with climate change. And when you're feeling more empowered, that definitely decreases your anxiety. So get actively involved with climate change Mm -hmm. kinds of activities. And Nicole, what do you, what do you see? I, I think it's so daunting, you know, when, you look at government structures not doing what they should be doing and you kind of as a single person are like okay well I can't change the world so what can we do though to help change our communities and start from there yeah I was gonna say the the same thing as um, Patricia getting involved can really help reduce climate anxiety and so as a community member as a parent you can help the young people in your life find those organizations um Granted, a lot of them probably don't need your help finding it. Like they're on social media. Um, One that comes off the top of my head is Sunrise Movement um, is doing a lot of work and they have local chapters. So there are national organizations that are very community-based and still do lots of community work. Um, So finding, finding the people who are involved in climate change and working with them is very helpful to, to feel empowered, to feel less alone Um, there's, there's a lot of, um, basically lots of people are concerned about climate change, but a lot of people don't think others around them are concerned, uh, pluralistic ignorance. There it is. Um, pluralistic ignorance. And so, um, in reality, lots of people are concerned. So you can find those people and work with them and it, it helps to make, um, this feel less lonely. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we know that isolation, I mean, we just lived through essentially three years of a global pandemic. Um, and we know that I, I felt like I was like, oh, we're finally past the point that the pandemic we're not going to talk about on the podcast anymore. Um, surprise. Sorry, everybody. Um, but, you know, we lived through all this time of isolation and feeling very helpless and that we couldn't do anything. So absolutely finding those people in our communities, you know, here in Hunterdon County, we have a great parks and rec system and they're mm-hmm. always looking for volunteers, always looking for advocates. So that's a great place to even start here in the county, you know, looking for the local chapter of sunrise and just seeing what's out here um i think is a really great way to maybe stop some of that isolation that's happening and really join together as a community to make some change which would be wonderful um so before we log off today do you both have any last words that you would like to say to our listeners um yeah i just i thought of one more resource i'd like to share um and anyone can take it. It's called the Climate for Health um, Ambassador Training with Eco America, and um, it's it's a four hour training. Um, it's free. It's available online, um, and it really equips you to talk about climate change. So if you're someone that wants to talk about it but doesn't really know where to start, um, it's very helpful. And then you'll be connected to a whole community of people that are doing presentations or talking to their local town hall about it. Um, and so it's a great place to start if you want to learn more. Amazing. That's great. And I'll put a plug in for the more individual level dealing with anxiety and depression around these issues is don't isolate yourself. Talk about them. We you know talking is really, really helpful for us. Um, and don't be embarrassed. Many people feel that they don't, they shouldn't be talking about this because, because there's bigger issues going on in the world. But if it's caring, if you're carrying it and it's creating a life problem for you, talk about it. There's a lot of resources out there to help. Yeah, absolutely. And so, of course, I want to thank you both for coming on today. I think that this is such a unique conversation that we don't have all that often, but it's affecting literally everyone here on earth. Um, So it's an incredibly important conversation to have. And of course, we want to thank the Partnership for Health for their partnership and for having you as guests today. And for our listeners, if you're looking for more information and resources, everything we mentioned today will be on our website, which is njprevent.com forward slash positive youth. And also I'll make sure that I put the links in the description as well. And of course, we want to thank you for listening in. And we'll see you next time for more youth positively speaking.